Spring, is that you? Warmer temps mean new Albert styles. Meet the new Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. That means more comfort and less baggage. Experience how Allbirds is redefining comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to the Triple Threat Podcast, presented by Snappy, which makes providing electrical, plumbing, and heating air service to all of Metro Atlanta. Lifetime parts and labor warranties. How good is that? Lifetime warranty on stuff? How many times you get lifetime warranty? Thank you to Snappy for that. They're locally owned and operated. They support numerous local high school pro- sports programs around the around Georgia. Also, if you want to give them a call, man, 770-424-SNAP or check them out on the web at snappyservices.com. It's what Snappy does, man. They can do all things, plumbing, heating, air, and we're giving you $75. Not just us, Snappy's giving you $75 off if you use the promo code Triple Threat, and you'll get $75 off your next appointment. Hashtag Snappy makes homes happy. Thank you for Snappy for being a proud sponsor of the Triple Threat Podcast. We appreciate Snappy. Go check him out, man. That number one more time, 770-424-SNAP. We appreciate everybody joining every single week. And I'm going to say it every single week. I appreciate you guys joining us. You can be listening to anything else, but you're listening to the Triple Threat Podcast. I am DJ Shockley. Of course, joining me is my man, Scotty D. Scotty D, talk to the people. It's Triple Threat Thursday. <laughs> there you go. See, that's now, my that's my thing now. <laughs> now my dude bringing the energy. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Hey, man, we got a great show uh, today. We got a lot of things happening. Of course, we're going to talk everything that's happening this weekend. We got college football and the SEC cranking up. You got NBA we got NFL football. We got a lot of stuff happening this weekend. But we also, on the show today, we got my man, a good friend of mine, an Auburn legend, and my guy, Ronnie Brown, will be joining the show. Auburn guy, number two draft pick of the Miami Dolphins. This guy has done it all, seen it all, made tons of money. We we might talk about that too, but uh, my man, Ronnie B, will be joining the show today. So looking forward to talking to him. So hang around for that conversation with my guy, Ronnie Brown. Let's go ahead and jump right on to some of the good stuff that's happened around the world, I should say. Let's start. You want to start in the NFL, Scotty D? What you yeah, think? man. That sounds good. All right. NFL, obviously, the biggest news, I think, of this past weekend games were the amounts of guys hurt. But not just the amount of guys, but major dudes getting hurt. We saw Saquon Barkley tear his ACL. Bosa towards ACI out in San Francisco. McCaffrey's going to be out four to six weeks with an ankle injury, hurting going into the end zone. Man, which one do you think is the most significant? We also saw Drew Locke. He, he's out with a, a shoulder as well. If you were thinking about those particular guys, or you can think about anybody else who might have had an injury, who do you think has the biggest impact on their team from being hurt? Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with Bosa. Okay. Okay, and this – this is the reason Saquon's team wasn't going to be very, I mean, this is what I call important. Right. 
how how is it going to affect your team moving forward? Right. The right, Giants, right. the Giants, and the Panthers weren't probably going to make the playoffs this year. Okay. So as bad as it is as it is for those two guys, for them to lose those two guys and make things worse, they might be putting them putting their hats in the ring for the uh, Trevor Lawrence. Uh, oh, you uh, already called yeah. it. Trevor already. <laughs> we so, too. Come on. So I'll go. I'll go with both. So just <laughs> just because of of the teams that that the Forty ers face out there: Seattle, the Rams, the Cardinals. They got to play each of those teams twice. All great offenses so far this year. Tough division for sure, man. Yeah. That's an unbelievable division there. Uh, so it's going to be interesting for me, man. I thought it'd be Christian McCaffrey, man. You think about how much he means to the Carolina Panthers. Think about how much he means over the last couple of years, the guy who's touched the football so many times in a ball mm-hmm. game and having Teddy Bridgewater, a new quarterback in that system, a whole yeah. new system that they're having. And when you don't have the guy that you can lean on, yeah. that puts a lot of strain and pressure on the quarterback. So I think McCaffrey over the next four, six, four to six weeks, which they put him on IR, which means he can come back after three weeks. Uh, which is we'll a new, see. which is a new rule. I like that for sure, a lot. For sure, yeah, I'm glad because it wasn't like the whole year or half the year, whatever it may be. So uh, we'll see how much that affects, you know, Carolina going forward. Uh, other crazy news: If you're a Falcons fan, you might not want to listen right now. What <laughs> happened in Dallas was unreal. You're talking about, you're talking about a deficit where they were up twenty to nothing at one point. 29 to 10 at halftime, and they come storming back. They had four turnovers in that first half. The Falcons did a good job of turning them into points. Yeah. But at the end of the ball game, Scott and what everybody wants to know, everybody wants to talk about, which was an amazing feat in his own right that they were even in position to tie this ball game up and to have his onside kick. What were your thoughts on the Falcons' onside kick? And their ability to not get on the ball. Oh, I see it. Yeah, yeah. You, I see, you see. <laughs> yeah, there's the ball. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, you know what? It's it, it's three, four days later. I'm still speechless, DJ. I, it's gonna I, be I'm, it's gonna be talked about for a while. Oh my gosh, I don't know what they were doing. Um, no expiration date. It, I love. Hey, I, on the flip side, I love that kick. <laughs> the little squibber. It never like it never left the ground. It never hopped. It just spun. I loved it. To be honest, but, I I didn't think it was gonna go ten yards because it kind of went five six yards and sputtered just for a minute, but then it just kept going and yeah, kept I going. I know. When but, as a guy do you say jump on the ball, bro? Well, when it's moving that slow, like nine yards <laughs> before I mean, it touches on. before it touches the ten yard line. <laughs> Here's the thing I will say. I've seen dudes try to be aggressive and go for that football, and oh, they bumble, they kick it, they, their knee pops it up, and the other team gets it. Understand that? Yeah. But I think the Falcons should have been more aggressive in that particular moment. Here's the thing, I, and I thought exactly what you think, what you're talking about, where people have have jumped on it, you know, and and things have gone wrong. But at the same time, I would rather jump on it when I'm the only one allowed to touch it. Then take a chance on waiting when it's going to be a free for all and anybody can touch it. That, yeah. that's, it was just a really, really uh, unbelievable circumstance. I, I think, think everybody looks at is the effort that went towards it. Like, why didn't you, you know, just jump on the ball? And the Falcons took a timeout right before it happened. So everybody's like, what was the conversation right before that happened? So tough day for the Falcons, man. Mm-hmm. They end up losing. 
to the Dallas Cowboys, and Dallas are 2-0. Last two weeks, Russell Wilson was the NFC Player of the Week, played against the Falcons. Week two, Dak Prescott, NFC Player of the Week, versus the Atlanta Falcons, and you get, hey, Mitchell, get Mitchell Trubisky 2-0 comes into town. Oh, boy. The Chicago Bears. So we'll see what happens that week. Well, what are some of your biggest surprises after week two here, Scotty? Now you got the Raiders, Bears, and Cardinals at 2-0. and And the Vikings, the Eagles, and the Falcons. Well, a lot of people thought the Eagles might have been a really good football team. Don't look like it right now at 0-2. What's the biggest surprise for you in the NFL? I think if those are my options – I got. I'm gonna take one of each. Okay, I'm gonna take a two and O team and an O and two team. The 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 two and O team. I gotta say the Raiders. Yeah. Um. I I, I didn't. Josh Jacobs is a is a beast, man. Yeah. He and he is he has played that way for two weeks. Um. Carr. He's been playing solid. Uh, that team. Da- uh. Darren Waller. Waller. My high school. Beast. Yep. He's from my so high school. So you're saying y'all put him out like that, huh? Yeah, no, okay. that's the only one. <laughs> um, and uh, and I'd say that the zero and two team that's really surprised me is the Eagles. Um, you know, I, I, and I'm I can't imagine what sports talk radio is like in Philadelphia right now. Yeah, uh, yeah. as bad as it is here in Atlanta, they're they're ruthless up there, and I can't imagine what that's like. You know, the biggest surprise for me has been the Cardinals. Man, I I, I wasn't sure what we was going to get out of them. I can't believe. As good as DeAndre Hopkins is, I didn't expect him to go there and be putting up numbers like that already with Kyler Murray. I knew Kyler Murray's good. I knew they were going to be very competitive. But them dudes are good on offense. I mean, they are balling right now. They are tough to stop. And if you're covering them on defense and you have to take into account, you know, uh, we've said it before, definitely a top three uh, looking like the best right now, the best receiver in the league. Um, That lets Kyler Murray – improvise a little bit get some uh some aw- some terrific gains uh he's had a he's had a few amazing runs yeah 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 that's cool so a lot of stuff going on in the national football league i'm sure many more storylines to come uh this weekend as well let's jump into the college football world as the sec starts up with some football this weekend everybody's excited to watch the sec get going florida versus old miss lane kiffin out for the old miss rebels who Who's the quarterback, John Rice Plumley or Matt Corral is the big question. Mm-hmm. LSU takes on Mississippi State. Mike Leach's debut. Yeah. LSU bringing in Mike, uh, bringing in Miles Brennan as their quarterback. Uh, how good would they be losing so many guys in the draft? That's going to be interesting to watch. Kentucky and Auburn. I think that's going to be a great game. Kentucky, yeah. gets, Kentucky gets Terry Wilson back. Auburn has Chad Moores now as their offensive coordinator. Uh, for Gus Malzone, Tennessee versus South Carolina. Jerry Gantano, South Carolina has a new quarterback, and Colin Hill coming from Colorado State with offensive coordinator Mike Bobo. Mm-hmm. So Tennessee and South Carolina should be a real good game. Out of those games, man, which game are you most looking forward to? I know you want to say your Florida Gators and playing Ole Miss, but uh, LSU, Mississippi State, Kentucky, Auburn, Tennessee, South Carolina. Which one? Yeah. The most well, I think you know you made a comment. I think Kentucky Auburn is is the two probably should be the most evenly matched game, I believe. But I yeah. think I think what I'm looking forward to is seeing LSU, which I think is is no way they have a title defense in them just because of all that they've they've lost. But yeah. they're still LSU. They still recruit like crazy. They still always have good defense. I can't wait to see what Mike Leach is doing at Mississippi State yeah. against, against LSU on Saturday. 
Yeah, I'm looking forward to it, man. I, I want to see if, you know, Gus Malzahn actually gives the keys to Chad Morris mm-hmm. and his offense with all the weapons they've got. Bo Nix coming back for his sophomore season. And then also there's another game, the Georgia versus Arkansas game, which I will be on the call for. I'm looking forward yes. to calling that game. All the talk is who's going to be the quarterback at Georgia. Will it be JT Daniels or Dewan Mathis? Arkansas has an already established quarterback in Felipe Franks. Um, Sam Pittman takes over as the head coach. Kendall Browse is the offensive coordinator. So this is an interesting matchup, and I'm sure everybody's looking forward to uh, uh, seeing who's going to be the quarterback for the dogs, as I am. Okay, don't say as I am, because you got to make a commitment right now. You're up I, in Athens. You're working up there. To, who, you know, who's, who's the man going to be? I think it's I think it's going to be Dewan Mathis, man. I think he brings a different dimension to that offense. I think his ability to be able to run, his ability to be able to throw the rock, and this guy's poised to, I think, have a, a breakout year. Um, JT Daniels has experience, of course. He's played in big-time football. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think Mathis, you know, you know, will do a little bit more. Um, we'll see if I'm right on Saturday, if Dewan Mathis is the guy, but I'll be able to call for that uh, this weekend. Uh, college football, a lot going on, man. It's going to be interesting to see Big Ten. Uh, as we know, we talked about last week, we'll be coming back in the month of October, late October. Um, so it'll be more to talk about then and get them involved in the college football race. All right, NBA. A lot going on in the NBA too, man. How about the Heat Celtics? Um, Jazz uh, had a big win on Tuesday. Mm-hmm. Murray from Kentucky. Balling. Jokic is an animal underneath. I mean, he is tough to – to, to deal with, man. Um, you know, what do you think about that series with the Lakers and the Jazz? I, I just can't, I can't bring myself. I'm I, Jet, the, 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 the uh, Nuggets. The Nuggets, nuggets I'm sorry. Nuggets, no, that's nuggets. my fault. Uh, nuggets. The, the Nuggets have been my favorite team to watch during this whole um, yeah, yeah. postseason. Um, so that, that, that I'm, I'm pulling for them straight up. But the problem is I think after a loss, I just, I don't think that, I think that LeBron is too experienced. He's obviously yeah. too good, or all, you know, all-time good. Uh, Anthony Davis is is really balling out too, and I just I, I have a hard time believing that they're ever going to lose two and zero in these playoffs to anybody. Yeah. And, and I said to Jazz, and I'm still thinking about my man Donovan Mitchell and that yeah. that, that series with him and uh, mm-hmm. him and our man Murray from yeah. uh, the Denver Nuggets. So that was a good series as well. But uh, Denver and the Lakers, man, you know. Two to one, man. It's going to be interesting. Heat Celtics got a really good series going. Uh, it should be fun to see how that lasts. My question for you, do you think this series goes seven or you think there's a, maybe a six-game series? The Heat and Celtics? Yeah. Yeah, man, if you I, just put a guess on it. I, I, I'm going to say seven because okay. I feel like the Celtics answer the call when they got to answer the call. And, and, sure. and, and I still, I still think that you know what we saw with them um, two series ago when they just wiped the floor with uh, uh, was it Philly? <laughs> yeah. um, they, I mean, I just, I, I think that they're they're gamers on that side of the ball. Um, God, both sides. This is fun. It's fun basketball to watch. Yeah, yeah. It's gonna be, it's gonna be interesting, man. I, a lot of talent on both those squads, man. So the NBA is starting to get into must-watch territory mm-hmm. as the semifinals come to close, and we're gonna get some divisional uh, finals coming up as well. And the NBA. Last but not least, Bryson DeChambeau crushes the field in the U.S. Open. The only guy who goes under par wins. The U.S. Open, what a feat for this guy. I mean, we everybody laughed at the Shembo when he came back out. He was 40 pounds heavier. He was crushing the ball. 
But now he sits here as a U.S. Open champion at a course that looked ridiculously hard, of course, with him being the only guy under par. uh, That speaks volumes. What do you think of that win? That, well, a couple things. One is he basically lapped the field. If they were all running a mile, he was done. He was done a lap before everybody else. That's, that's how, that's how substantial what he did on Sunday was. He was, he, um, so it was amazing. What I find interesting though, is that he is becoming, he seems to be coming. You look at social media and stuff and talking to people. It looks like he's starting to become the golfer. People are loving to hate right now. Yeah. I, don't, I, don't, I, I mean, I've, I've, I've seen a couple of moments, but um, I don't think. I'm winning US Open. I'm letting everybody know it. I'm sleeping <laughs> with, the, with the with trophy and everything. I'm walking around <laughs> with it. I'm taking it to the bar, whatever. So I'm all about that. But um, congratulations to Bryson DeChambeau, man. Ball out of the US Open did some big things. So I love golf. You love golf. You think you could have put it on those greens out there? You think you had – I mean, the elevation and the, the all the false fronts they had out there. I mean, would you like to be on the wrong side of one of those greens? Man, I don't think we could appreciate how bad those greens were on TV. But no. the only way, only way you could is just to see the ball actually break. If you were just looking <laughs> at pictures of the green, you couldn't tell how bad it was. But, man, the where these guys were lining up for their putts sometimes, it's amazing. Yeah, I would like my chances on the greens more than I would – to the green because I would be in that rough and I'd probably lose more ball. I'd probably run out of balls if I, by hole seven or eight. Well, it's a good thing they got people out there because yeah. that rough once that ball went in the rough, forget about it. And, and the rough, the rough went right up to the green. <laughs> like you could be in, you could be in six inch rough and be eight right. feet eight feet from the pin. Yeah, that was tough. That was tough. All right, man. So like I like I said, I got my guy Ronnie Brown about to come on for us, man. He's gonna. He's going to give us some good insight on some of the things that took to become the number two overall pick in the NFL draft and all the fun he had at Auburn and what he's doing now. Next up on the Triple Threat Podcast, Ronnie Brown. Now the much-anticipated Guest that I've been talking about, my man Ronnie Brown is joining the Triple Threat Podcast. Ronnie B, man, it's it's always good to see you, man. You're a good friend of mine. I know uh, we've known each other for a few years now. How you doing, man? And uh, what's new in the Ronnie Brown life right now? Man, I'm just happy to be on the DJ Shockley Podcast. You know what I mean? <laughs> like you, my guy. Anytime I can support you, man, I'm excited <laughs> about it. I appreciate you for having me and letting me be along oh. for the ride on your show. <laughs> um, you know, and, and and to be able to support, you know, because my guy got his own show, so, <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you know, and it's been a long time coming. I know we had these conversations. So for me yeah. to be able to be a part of this, man, um, I'm humbled to be able to have this opportunity, but excited for you, man. I'm excited for you, really. I, I appreciate it, brother, man. You know, uh, I told a lot of people that the great Ronnie Brown was coming on. They said, oh, I can't wait to hear that episode. So uh, a lot of people excited to hear from you, man. A lot of people uh, would love to hear some of the backstory of how Ronnie Brown became the man he is today. And with that in mind, let's let's go and go back. Before we go to Cartersville, let's go back to what it was like uh, growing up for Ronnie Brown and what was uh, the, the home life for my man R.B. Man, so you know, um, Cartersville, Georgia, C Vegas is like what, what we like to call it. <laughs> C Vegas. Um, you know, in Northwest Georgia, but 
man, growing up, I was a baseball fan, wanted to go to school and play baseball. I actually wanted to go to Florida State um, and play baseball. They had a pretty good program. But, you know, I think the way things unfolded, man, I started getting a little bit more attention on, on the football side and, you know, wanted to go to Georgia. Had one of my older cousins, um, Keith Henderson, played running back at Georgia back in the day. And, you know, Garrison Hurst was my guy growing up. I used to yeah. like watching him. So I was a fan of the G, you know what I'm saying? And yeah, so, yeah. you know, that being said, man, just the opportunity started to come. So I narrowed it down within those, you know, parameters. I won. I wanted to play in the SEC. Um, Georgia Tech was my first big offer um, just in terms of D1. I was scared of the city coming from Cartersville and C Vegas. <laughs> um, so, so, so just looking at me, man, I wanted to be a part of the SEC, but I wanted to stay somewhere in close proximity to Cartersville, be able to allow – you know, those loved ones and those family and friends to be able to come check me out. And so I really narrowed my, my choices down to Georgia, Tennessee, and Auburn. Um, not really knowing much about Auburn. I had the Bo Jackson poster like everybody else, but <laughs> yeah. I, didn't, I didn't know he went to Auburn. And so um, on a weekly basis, though, um, Noel Mazzoni, who was the offensive coordinator at, at Auburn at the time, he came every week. He and um, I think Coach McCorvey from Tennessee, and so, you know, I think Georgia was kind of – is an in-state guy. Um, you know, I don't think we got to put out as much effort. And so I initially committed to Tennessee um, and took one official visit because I was playing baseball all summer, mm. went down to Auburn and fell in love with it. It was a small community like Cartersville. Yeah. Um, and, and I felt like it was a great fit. They had Heath Evans being the running back who was really a fullback. And so, yeah. you know, they sold me on that. We don't have a running back, um, you know, and, and even with that, they didn't tell me about Rudy Johnson coming in at the same time. But, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, it was it was one of the best decisions I made. And, you know, it was a good fit for me, and I enjoyed it. It was a great experience. And, you know, I wouldn't take any of those trials and tribulations back. Yeah, man. I mean, I think everybody uh, growing up has their own things that they go through. And, uh, obviously, you've gotten to a point now where you're doing some real good things, real successful. Uh, I was reading somewhere where uh, – you, you mentioned growing up, sharing clothes, sleeping in the same bed with relatives, sharing a room with your brother, man. Uh, talk about some of those experiences growing up and how they kind of formed you into, you know, kind of the guy you are. Yeah, man. I think, you know, I think we all have a story. Um, yeah. and we've all had to overcome adversity to some degree at some point. And, you know, for me, growing up in an environment where we didn't have a lot, right. um, I think that created a motivation, um, you know, that self-motivation for me as an individual and wanting to overcome all those obstacles and even being able to do that. Um, you know, I think that set a fire early in me. Uh, my parents really instilled a lot of values and, you know, character, integrity and those things along with all the coaches that I had uh, and yeah. the people in the community. I think that's the benefit of living in a small community because you have a lot of support, but you know, when you talk about, you know, a few years we live in a, in a trailer, um, it's in a, in Sugar Valley, that's what we call it in Cartersville. Uh, <laughs> you know, and it was on some family land. Um, right. And so, you know, the trailer had a hole in it. We had the old kerosene heater where you had to go get the kerosene. And know all about that. The thing. Yeah. So, you know, I think I, I embraced those moments. And, you know, even with me, I have a little hashtag I've kind of started using just saying, remember the nights. You know what I'm saying? Because yeah. we all had trials and tribulations. Um, and so it started early. And. You know, for me, I was lucky. I was blessed with some talent and given the opportunity um, to make that a better situation through sports um, and all the life lessons that I learned. And so, you know, all of those things overcoming, you know, challenges, parents, you know, things that, that they had dealt with. 
um, you know, that was the motivation for me to want to do better and see better and be be better and always present my best self. And so yeah. um, I think everything that Cartersville made me, my parents, all those adversity moments or adverse moments, um, that created the will and, and the purpose of, all right, this is what you're going to do. And anything you do, um, you know, you need to go all out with it. And so, you know, that's been my approach with everything I do. I always tell my son, he's seven, you know, you know, you know, little Reese, yeah, but, yeah, yeah. you know, for my kids, it's how you do anything is how you do everything. And so, no doubt. you know, you know, I think that's something big in him and I want him to have that drive. I don't care what you do, but once you decide that you're going to do something, there's a commitment and a way that you're supposed to do it. And so, you know, everything that, you know, I am Cartersville helped make me Auburn, those experiences, yeah. um, you know, really shaped me into who I am right now. Man, it's pretty cool. I mean, I tell you, we got tons of kids that listen to the podcast. We got a bunch of people who just in general go through things in life. So uh, I appreciate you opening up your heart, man, talking about some things that, that went on in your life. And it helps uh, people to hear, man, because everybody, like you mentioned, has a story, has an obstacle, has a some adverse situation they have to go through. So uh, it's good to see that you were able to come from those situations and be able to, you know, be the man you are. That gives a lot of people a lot of hope that, you know, maybe they're in those situations now. Kids may feel like, you know, how can I come from this situation? But it's cool to see you come out of there. Let, let, let's talk about a little high school, man. The Cartersville Purple Hurricanes. Now, I don't know a lot of people know you three years starter. Had 4,900 yards, a dozen touchdowns. Talk about days playing at Cartersville because I think everybody knows uh, about Cartersville now because of a, a Trevor Lawrence. But uh, you got to let them know you, you were the originator uh, coming from Cartersville. Yeah, man, we've had a lot of talent. You know, I think a lot of people are familiar with Robert Edwards, um, yeah. played at Tech. You know, we had a few guys. Keith played at Georgia. Mm. Uh, myself, we had, um, you know, Andre Fluellen played at Florida State. Uh, Vic Beasley's from the same area. You know, he went to Darisville. But, yeah. you, know, you know, for me, those were some of the best moments because those are the same people that you grow up with in the community. And so you get to share those experiences. You get to grow up together. You get to see each other evolve. And so for me, you know, I think that was a big part of it. Um, you know, being able to go out and just have fun with my buddies. Um, Friday nights, everybody came out to the games. You know, it was kind of like Friday Night Lights, the movie. And, you know, every, that was the thing to do. You know, after the game, we go hang out at McDonald's. And, you know, but for me, you know, I didn't play as a freshman. I had a big guy, Courtney Stanley, in front of me who was really good athlete. Um, you know, he was, he was about six, about six two in high school. You know, we ran wing 10 in Cartersville. So, you know, man, I just had to wait my turn. But once I got that opportunity, man, you know, I was fortunate enough to, to play with some guys that, like I said, we had grown up from, since peewee ball together. And so there was relationship in that. We all cared, you know, how we performed, but there was a pride in the community and what right. we represented. And, and, you know, and even it's starting, like, you know, uh, those crosstown rivalries. Mm -hmm. um, Cass High School was one <laughs> of our rivalries, and then Woodland came along. But, you know, having those rivalries and taking pride in how we got things done, man, you know, Cartersville was a great experience. I keep in touch with my high school coach now to this day, um, Frank Barden, who's at St. Francis High School. Oh, nice. Uh, my, old baseball, my old baseball coach, he's at Buford um, as the head coach of baseball over there. J.J. Chapman, who was, you know, one of the fullbacks in, in the wing tee or one of the guys that ran the wing, he's an assistant coach over at Buford High School. So those relationships run pretty deep, and it's always great to have those memories, man. And I talk to, you know, pretty much all those guys, a lot of those guys now to this day, and, you know, just taking pride and having a sense of pride in 
in your community and what you represent. So, right. you know, as I've traveled beyond Cartersville High School, you know, a lot of that has stuck with me and I wanted to represent Cartersville in, in a positive way and letting the kids know the ones that I can't, that, that are still there. Like, man, you got an opportunity. I'm from the same place you're from. Mm -hmm. And if all you got to do is believe it and believe in yourself and there's an opportunity out there for you. Man, I, I remember going to a Cartersville game one time and you were spot on. The community is all about the Purple Hurricanes down there in Cartersville. So uh, big props and big shout out to everybody in Cartersville. Uh, let's jump to college, man. You talked about the decision to go to Auburn. Uh, obviously, it worked out pretty well for you. But choosing to go to Auburn and then while you're there, you obviously go through things while you're there. Obviously, you guys had an outstanding year in 04. Let's talk about the years before that. 2002, you had a pretty good year, rushed for over 1,000 yards, had 13 touchdowns. Uh, talk about the years in 02 and 03 where obviously you were uh, back by committee. You and Cadillac Williams were back by committee. But what was it like, you know, when you first got to Auburn, obviously not your red shirt and didn't get a chance to play, the opportunity to play in the SEC and then also be pretty successful? Yeah, man, it, it all started. Like I said, in Cartersville, man, I – Ended up having a fairly decent career. Um, ended up being the double-A player of the year um, when it only went to 4A. Um, but I was a little hurt. You know, I'm, I'm going to go on and tell you because you, you're my guy. <laughs> um, you know, I was a little hurt that Georgia didn't recruit me um, like I thought they should have. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I was a little um, disappointed in that. But, you know, I think everything that happened supposed to happen and it happened the way they're supposed to. So is that um, why you so always had the big games versus Georgia because you always had a little uh... – a little something a little something. I had a little I had a little chip on my shoulder. Uh, <laughs> you know, because I just felt like when you're an in-state guy and you don't go to the in-state school, you're not recruited as hard as some of the other guys. Right. You know, you get a little chip because you just feel like, okay, I wasn't good enough. And so, you know, that's always been in the back of my mind. But um, you know, um going through that and then getting to the planes and having to really sit out, you know, that first year, you know, it was a humbling. Uh, experience and especially when I saw Rudy come to campus and he coming in from junior college um, right. you know in that year I realized I wasn't ready um, you know and it had to take me sitting back and really seeing it and getting an opportunity to, to see that and you know I think a lot of people say it's hard to see the picture when you're in the frame and so mm -hmm. until you're able to get outside of that frame and get a chance to get a good look at it you really see the beauty of that picture and for me that was my red shirt you're getting a chance to grow get adjusted to college life getting getting adjusted to campus life um, and all of that was added benefit. I got bigger, right. faster, stronger in that process. And so the next year, I'm assuming I'm going to be the starter. Rudy goes to the NFL. He led the SEC in rushing that year. Uh, but unfortunately, we had another guy, Cadillac Williams, who, you know, came in, really good player, um, ended up being one of my buddies, one of my mm -hmm. best friends. But, you know, I think in that it was, you know, I think you learn about yourself um, during right. those adverse moments and, you know, I think adversity is an opportunity for growth. And I think that was one of the benefits that I had in those moments because there was some tough moments, you know, in that year. Actually, I had my high school coach call over to Georgia and I was exploring um, possibly transferring. Mm. And so, you know, I'm glad I stuck it out. Um, it was a great experience and it made me a better person, um, mm. made me a better football player. And so, you know, during that time, there were a lot of trials and tribulations, but you know, I think at the end of the day, you just got to keep going, man. And I think what's out there for you, um, it'll happen as long as you keep your head down and keep grinding and believing that work ethic. And like I said, believing in yourself. And things started to turn around, you know, um, in that year, my sophomore year, you know, Lat got hurt. Mm -hmm. I came in that first game 
um, six, game six or something like that against Florida. Um, had a fairly decent season, finished on a strong note. Um, came back the next year. Uh, unfortunately, you know, we had Bobby Petrino. Uh, that's a name that you're familiar with. Um, Very familiar, you know, yes. <laughs> you know, and I, I don't think he and I saw eye to eye. You know, I wasn't getting a lot of playing time. You know, and I even explored, hey, man, I play fullback, whatever I need to do uh, to, one, show that I'm committed to this team, but to get an opportunity to be on the field. And, you know, so I was I was frustrated with that, kind of went out, looked at my draft grade. It was like a third or fourth round grade. Um, and then we got Al Borges coming back uh, my senior year. And so I decided to stay. And, you know, he had, he, had, he had told me that he believed in, you know, having both of us in there, giving me some opportunities to show that I could do some different things out of the backfield. And that was that was really beneficial for me in my career. And, you know, lo and behold, I ended up as a second pick uh, in that 2005 draft. Man, I think you said some things uh, about having to wait your time. I think speak volumes of you. Uh, you know my story, having to sit behind David Green and wait and all that kind of stuff. And to have the opportunity to actually play, uh, it feels satisfying. And for you, you had to sit there with Cadillac and you guys had to split time. And you talk about how tough it was, but you talk about just sticking it out, the work ethic, just believing in yourself. And I think a lot of people can take a lot of heed to that because that's that's big, especially at the the level at which you were playing at at that time. So it's, it's, it's cool to hear that. I hope a lot of people get a lot from that. Uh, that 4 season, man, you you guys were ridiculous. I remember playing against you guys. We played you guys at Auburn. It was a crazy atmosphere. Uh, you and Cadillac were going crazy. I saw a I saw a quote that Tommy Tuberville said. He said he called you, Cadillac, and J. Cam the best backfield he's seen in the past 30 years. I mean, when you hear something like that about your backfield, but also that team, uh, how did that make you feel? And obviously that year was pretty magical for you guys. I know you guys wish you had a chance to – be called the national champions for sure. But uh, talk about that 04 year, man, how, how special it was. Yeah, man, that was a special year. And, you know, I think the people, the, the thing that people don't understand is it started beyond the football field. Um, you know, it was about the bonds and the, the, what we, the relationships that we had outside of the field right. um, that made that year special. One, J. Cam was my roommate, but just the commitment that we all had to trying to achieve something excellent. Never did we set out. We all, obviously, everyone wants to go the national championship but you know we were like we're just gonna take it one game at a time we believed in each other and it started um you know i probably shared this story with a few other people but you know on friday nights man we have um these prayer meetings and so you know everybody started showing up on the team mm -hmm. and guys would get in there and we just kind of pour out about ourselves about life what our families were dealing with things that were going on outside of auburn and outside of the campus and, you know, we pray for each other. We cry together. We laugh together. We joke mm -hmm. with each other. Um, you know, we talk about, you know, other things. We have praise reports from previous weeks where, you know, we may have um, said a prayer for someone and got the outcome and it was something positive. And oh, so wow. that really shaped our team. And so in that meeting, you know, we were talking about how important it was for us to link together and come together as a team. And we were only going to be as strong as our weakest link. And mm -hmm. so with that was a guy on the scout team or whoever, if you did the work, you had an opportunity to hold everybody else accountable. And so we started coming out of the, the tunnel with, with our arms locked, and that was just a representation of us creating that chain and us understanding that, listen, we're only as strong as the weakest link. And so we believed in each other. Every game that we played in, man, we always thought that we had a chance to win. And, you know, no matter what the score is, and, you know, I think even now, like I tell a lot of the young guys is, 
the most irrelevant thing in sports is the score at halftime. That don't matter. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, it's just not relevant. And so, you know, man, believe in your teammates, believe in yourself. You put the work in and trust the process. You know, the outcome will be positive. You know, you won't always win, but you always learn something in the process. And, you know, I think that was the best part about that year. Um, the bonds that we have, you see me and a lot of guys now, um, we still have those bonds. You know, I'm on a I'm on a text chain and it's like 14 of us, you know, from that same Auburn team. And it's just about relationship, man. Right. You know, you and I have had a chance to to form a great relationship, but it's it's all about relationship and believing in that person. And once I know, you know, more about DJ Shockley, I want to go even harder for him, you know. And so that's if he's having a podcast, I'm on the podcast. If it's showing up doing something in support, like I'm there because those relationships mean something. Well deserved. Well said, man. I, I think you can see by the way you guys played that year. Uh, there was something different about you guys. And being a guy who had the chance to actually play against you guys, I saw that. And you could see the bond that you guys had. Uh, going into the NFL draft, did you ever have an inkling that you would be the number two overall pick in the NFL? I mean, like you said, everybody wants to get drafted, you know, uh, you had good numbers, you did good at the combine, all that kind of stuff. But talk about that process of when you got the call and then what it felt like to be the number two overall pick. Because I don't think there are a lot of people in the world who can't say they were the number two overall pick in the draft. What was that like? Yeah, man, it's funny, man. I made a post recently about that um, because I used to always question, like, why me? Um, a little kid from Cartersville, Georgia, um, having it, the adversity, overcoming the trials, like, why would that end up happening to a kid, you know, from a small town like that? And, yeah. you know, I just had to come to grips with there was a lot of work that was put into it. And, you know, I think a lot of that stuff that happened, it was earned. Um, mm -hmm. But, yeah, man, I never knew, um, you know, when I got the call from my agent that, you know, I had been invited to the draft. My first initial thought was, no, nah, I'm not going. <laughs> like, because I didn't want to be that guy. That's sitting um, in the green know, room, yeah. <laughs> right. Um, you know, for a guy that was never really the main guy, the main running back at Auburn, um, I was considered a backup running back. Um, how was it that I was invited to the draft and, you know, my running mate wasn't? And so, you know, I was hesitant to take that. And, you know, my agent and I talked, he talked me into going. Um, you know, he's like, this is a great opportunity. This would be a great experience for you and your family. And so, man, I was nervous about it. Ended up taking and accepting that role. I mean, accepting that and going to the draft, man, it was one of the greatest experiences. And it wasn't even about me. Um, you know, yeah. for me, it was about, you know, you know how it is coming from a small town. Mm -hmm. Me getting to see my parents in New York for a week, right. um, yeah. you know, and get that experience and to see something come through and uh, come into fruition that we had talked about for me being a little kid. It's like, I want to play in the NFL. It wasn't even, I wanted to be a first round pick. I just wanted to get the opportunity to play. And so, to experience those moments with my parents uh, was really big, you know, and I recently lost my father, but, you know, I, I get to think about all the memories and those things that we got to share because he got a chance to see me do all of that stuff. And, you know, man, I'm blessed to be able to have those experiences, but man, I ain't even know. Um, even to this <laughs> day, bro, like when you ask me that question, I, I don't have a legit answer for it because yeah. I don't know. Um, yeah. Obviously it was something bigger than me. Um, but I was just most appreciative and grateful to have that experience and, and be in that moment. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I mean, going back to you talked about how close you guys were. I mean, you went second. You had Cadillac go fifth, Jay Cam and Carlos Rogers all in the first round. I mean, you guys had some talent on that team for sure. And it's, it showed in the, in the NFL draft. You get drafted, go to Miami, 
and you get drafted by a guy who everybody thinks is probably one of the, the top coaches in all of college football right now, Nick Saban. Talk about that experience in Miami. I know it was a little up and down, had some injuries here and there, uh, but talk about the experience in Miami and uh, while you were there, you know, kind of the successes and things you had to go through. Yeah, man, it was a great experience. Um, obviously, I ain't know no better. So when I got drafted by Saban, he was coming from college. I was used to being in that college mentality. So, yeah. you know, it was it was business as usual for me. <laughs> but um, we got along really great. He's really great football coach, knows football, um, always had great stories. But, you know, he allows you to be an adult. Um, you know, and I think that being said, you know, he has high expectations for everyone. But those standards don't change. You know, and I think when you say you talk about him, you know, the standard is the standard and there's mm -hmm. accountability that comes along with it. And so, you know, um, it's no I mean, it's no surprise that he's had the success that he's had over at that school, um, you know, down the street from Auburn. But um, you, at the you, same time. So, so you can't even say their name, huh? No, no, no. So, so, yeah, so even <laughs> having, having that conversation with my son, bro, like, uh, I, I tell my son and my daughter, y'all can go to any school but that one. Like, that's, that one's even if they get a full ride, they can't go to that school. Any school but that one. Um, <laughs> and, so, and so, man, yeah, it's no surprise that this guy, you know, he has a statue on campus and he's still the head football coach. Um, and he's well-deserved well and he's earned that right. Uh, but for me, man, it was just business as usual. Um, he coached me hard, um, challenged me, and that just made me a better player. And I think a lot of guys around him, you know, I think they do share those sentiments. Like, he does know football. Um, you know, his tactics may not always be agreed with, but when you look at the outcome, you know, nine times out of ten, it's been positive with the exception of, you know, a few of the experiences we had in Miami. But, you know, I think it's a learning process, and we're all trying to figure out how to grow and get better. You played with some some pretty cool vets like a, a Jason Taylor, a Zach Thomas, a, a Ricky Williams. Well, what were some of the things that uh, you learned from those guys from the years playing with some of those seasoned vets and guys who a lot of people look at as like Hall of Fame guys? Yeah, man. I think that was the best thing that happened to me because coming in as a young guy, small town, going to Auburn, and then being thrown into the mix in Miami, um, you know, not really being used to a lot. Um, having a lot of temptations outside of the locker room, um, having those veteran guys, it really put things in perspective for me, the way that they carry themselves. Um, because I think I realized not only were they successful on the football field, but even beyond that, the things they were doing in the community. I had guys like Jason Taylor um, was really involved in the community. Junior Seau was one of those guys. Um, Zach Thomas, his work ethic, the way that he prepared for game days. Ricky Williams, the way that he practiced. Um, you know, it was no surprise that he had the success that he had with getting to see behind the curtain and see how he prepared for game day. Right. Um, and so I was I was definitely blessed for that. And, you know, for me, I like to watch. I'm not really the most vocal guy, but I really feel like success leaves clues. And mm -hmm. so if you pay attention to, you know, those successful people, you'll pick up on some of those positive habits. And so, man, I used to watch those guys. A lot of times they wouldn't even know. And most of them, <laughs> you know, they, they were defensive guys, but I was just trying to figure out how they were doing you know these things and and just really getting their perspective on how to how to be a professional yeah and that's the one thing i want to ask you about is uh you're the number two overall pick and the amount of money that was thrown at you as the number two overall pick what is that like i mean I, I, we talked about being drafted as number two but to come into the national football league as a guy like you mentioned didn't come from a lot so that's something you, you don't always know about so what's it like to come into that type of money and then also 
the guys that are around you kind of help you uh, kind of ease your way through all that situation of having millions of dollars right out the bat. Yeah, man. I, what's Kevin Hart's line? I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready. <laughs> I wasn't ready. Uh, <laughs> I wasn't ready because, man, it was a lot to be thrown on me. You know, yeah. I think one, realizing that I've been drafted that high, the expectations that come along with that. Um, and I tell guys, nine times out of ten, if you are drafted fairly high, it's a gift and a curse because, you know, the team that you're drafted to, more times than not, wasn't that good the previous right. season. And so there's a lot of pressure that comes along with that. And then outside of that, like I talked about Miami and the pressures and the temptations, you know, and the lifestyle in Miami. Um, you know, I was a little nervous about that, um, you know, trying to figure out how to navigate that, having right. access, um, you know, having the money to do a lot of these things. You know, it, it, I had to put a lot of restraints on myself and really keep those guardrails and really ask those guys, like, man, how do you do this? Because, you know, it's so easy to get off the beaten path and make some of those mistakes. And so yeah. really just trying to surround myself with the right people, man. I used to pick Jason um, Taylor's head, man, and just about <laughs> how he did things. And, you know, yeah. him being the face of the franchise. And, you know, I think it was fortunate for me to have him. Then guys like Bonnie Holiday came in. And so really getting a chance for those guys to sit down and talk to me about, you know, being a professional. And so when I talk to a lot of young guys, I'm like, man, being a professional is most indicative of those three letters, P-R-O. Like, what does it mean to be a pro? And that means you're personally responsible for your own outcome. Mm -hmm. And so really understanding that, man, uh, that was really the beneficial part of that because had I not had those guys, I can see that I probably would have made a lot more mistakes uh, and some of them would have probably been a little bit more detrimental than, than I made. Oh, man, if, if I had, like, the little light bulb to go right on my head right now when you said the pro, I love that. Personally responsible of your own outcome. That's pretty good right there. I mean, that can do – that can go for all walks of life, man. A couple more things before we let you get out of here, man. Uh, last thing about football, uh, the Wildcat. Everybody knows it's like Ronnie Brown invented the Wildcat. Now you see it all over the place. Everybody does it. Uh how did that come about? How did, you know, they say, we want to put you back here. We want you to run it. We want you to throw it. Like, how did that come about? Man, so we had, you remember David Lee? Um, he was oh. a quarterback coach for us in Miami, but he was with Arkansas before that. And so yeah. he was there with uh, McFadden, Felix Jones, Peyton Hillis, and those guys. And so we were in Miami. One, we off to an 0-2 start. Um, you know, it was something that we had talked about in, in some of the team meetings or some of the offensive meetings. Um, and so when he threw it out there, I was like, you know, Ricky, you 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 built for this hard left turn, or you know, <laughs> you got to come in motion. Yeah. I never played quarterback before, um, but I felt like I was athletic enough. I played baseball; I could throw a little bit. Yeah. Um, and so I was like, man, I'll be the quarterback. This is my opportunity. I never played quarterback. If I get to play quarterback in the league, I don't know something right. Um, and so, man, getting that opportunity, I was excited about it. Um, and really, just man, once he put it in. You know, we put ourselves in bad situations in practice. It never worked in practice. All the defensive <laughs> guys like, and y'all need to throw this out. What is this elementary <laughs> offense? And they, man, they give us a hard time. Oh. And so, man, in doing that, you know, we kind of rep repeated it. And, you know, I think we practiced repetitions of it. And so going into New England that week, we're sitting there 0-2. Um, you know, our back's against the wall. Anybody knows going to Foxborough is a tough task with no, Bill no. Belichick. Um, and so, you know, we were sitting in there. We were like, man, we need a spark. And coach called it in the – he called the play in. And I'm like, oh, man, just don't mess this up. Because if I <laughs> drop this ball one, all these defensive guys going to be on me. 
But then two, we would never see this formation again. And right. so, man, I was surprised by the success that we had um, and just really hearing um, the lack of adjustments on the defensive side. When we lined up in the formation, um, the miscommunication and, you know, the guys not being able to get lined up and we had the success. Um, I tell a lot of people now, looking back on, I think we set the bar too high because going into New England, everybody expected that to be the result. Um, yeah. We got in that formation and, you know, we had a good ride with it, but, yeah. you know, it, it got tougher and tougher by the week because they started yeah. adding a few more guys in the <laughs> to the box to try, yeah. to, to, try to, to try to stop it. And I wasn't throwing the ball like a DJ Shockley, you know what I mean? <laughs> hey, man, you, you did a hell of a job when you was doing it, though. I know you, you started, so I remember watching it and like, man, I don't know how this is going to work, but y'all was making it work. Uh, Ronnie B, obviously, you've had a story. Uh, athletic career. You, you've done some great things in high school, college, and now the transition out of ball. Uh, a lot of players, a lot of athletes have the toughest time transitioning it out. Now you have found uh, your niche. Uh, you co-lead a wealth management group now. Uh, talk about that transition out and then what you're doing now and how you're helping all these athletes now do better with that money that they have and so that guys aren't lost now and, you know, going broke. Yeah, man. For me, it was finding that purpose. Um, I was blessed to chase my passion, um, have that opportunity to play in the NFL for 10 seasons. But beyond that, like I said, man, when I first left Auburn and got to Miami, that financial change that happened, I wasn't ready for that. I wasn't mm -hmm. financially responsible. I didn't know how to deal with it. I didn't have anybody around me to really tell me how to be responsible with it and give me and point me in the right direction. And so, man, when I finished my career, I was fortunate enough to be around some people in Miami and have those experiences and want to grow in that area. But once I transitioned out of the NFL, I knew that was one of the biggest hurdles that I had to deal with was trying to be responsible and take advantage of being able to get this opportunity, this financial uh, security. And so how to keep that. And so that was the biggest part of it, man. And I think that's one of the challenges that so many athletes have and it's essentially like hitting the lottery but you don't really have anyone around you to give you the template on how to do this and how to handle this in a beneficial way or in a responsible way and right. so you know for me i was like man that's one of the things that i struggle with me being a former player going through being in those same shoes it's my obligation to share my story share the things that i've learned with these younger guys to hopefully they see how they can do it a lot better and not run into you know some of the same hurdles um, that so many of us do. Um, and I think as older guys, that should be our mentality because, you know, we should be the big brother, help the guys behind us and be like, hey, man, this is what I ran into um, and give them the information. So when they do make decisions, they're educated decisions um, and understanding that the longevity piece of this, yes, it's an opportunity, but it's not guaranteed. And I think we've seen that over the first couple of years, I mean, couple of weeks of the NFL season this year. Like so many guys are going down with injuries and I'm like, man, it can happen in any moment. Um, yeah. And so it's important to be able to take advantage of this opportunity to create some generational wealth. And how do you do that? You got to be responsible with your money um, and ask for ask for help and get understanding of people around you who are genuinely interested in seeing you do well. Um, and I think that's, you know, that's, that's my purpose right now, man. I feel passionate about it uh, because I remember being in that situation and understanding what it felt like and I was a little nervous you know and I think mm -hmm. now being able to be on the back end and say man in that moment I probably would have never admitted that I was nervous because everyone right. looking at you like man you're a professional athlete you got money you got access to a lot of these things um, you're supposed to have that 
that that mentality of oh man I can't show any weakness and so now looking back at it man I wish even now I wish I had to ask for help because right. I would have got that guidance and understanding a lot earlier than you know it took me to you know hit a few learning curves and hit a few bumps in the road for me to learn myself and now to be able to transition and give those guys that same information that you know I wish I would have gotten a lot earlier. Man, I tell you, I think a lot of people are going to be excited when they listen to this. I think a lot of people are going to get a lot from all the things you've talked about from life to sports. Um, and obviously, I love to give, you know, guys the platform. Um, and you've talked about the things that made you great as a, as a sports guy. You've, you know, you, you've done successful things after football. But I know what your your real why is. And I know your beautiful family, man, uh, your wife, Taylor. Your son, Reese, Reagan, uh, I always want to give people a chance to, you know, let them know about the, the husband, the dad, the father uh, that is uh, Ronnie Brown. Uh, I know you want to speak on your family here for a second, but uh, just talk about how special, you know, they are to you, of course. Yeah, man, that's my real why. Um, <laughs> you know, I think just understanding that's my real full-time job is, is my family and being representative of the family and being able to you know be the protector and somebody who sets the right example um you know i hold myself to a high standard when it comes to that the parenting portion of it um the, the the dad all of that stuff but the husband as well um and so man that's one of the roles that i take um very seriously um and you know and i think in just instilling a lot of those things in our family and knowing what's important you know, I don't ever want my family to question my commitment to them. And so for them to always understand that dad puts them first um, or that, you know, my wife knows that I put her first, um, that's always going to be important. But even just outside of that, the thing that, you know, instilling in the kids, because I think as we grow now, we tend to find ourselves saying things that our parents said to us and so making <laughs> oh, sure that they understand. And so, you know, I tell them, I'm like, I don't care. Like I said earlier, I don't care what you do. But when you decide that you're going to do, you're going to be committed to it and you're going to finish it. And so, um, you know, just in them understanding that you can go out, you can do whatever you want to do, but you have to be great at the things that don't take talent. And that means being punctual, um, your effort and knowing what to do. If you know what to do in all those three situations, then you have an opportunity to be successful in whatever it is in life. And so, man, I try to not only say that, but I try to live by that and, you know, set the example and be the example for my family. Well, uh, as a dude that knows you well, man, I, I know you live by that. Um, I know uh, the type of family guy you are. Um, and a lot of people listening, they may wonder, are these things real? And I'll tell you straightforward, these things are real about this man, Ronnie Brown. And uh, I'm just going to tell you this, man, if uh, Reese gets that scholarship to that other school, I mean, he, he might have to be committed to the other school because he's a pretty good athlete. And then I saw I saw Ray on Instagram doing back and stuff. She may be a gymnast. I'm just saying, bro. If, they get that. They get that scholarship, and they gonna pay for it, bro. I mean, hey, bro, if it ain't Auburn, it, it it's not that other school. <laughs> we 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 might have the G on. You never know. But it, ain't gonna, it ain't gonna be that one. Oh man, well, right, man. I appreciate you joining the Triple That podcast, man. I think a lot of people will be excited to hear this. Uh, something that people can get a lot of knowledge from, not just from sports, just for uh, daily life. So we appreciate everybody tuning in to the Triple Threat Podcast. Want everybody to continue to subscribe, continue to listen, continue to share with everybody. You can find my man Ronnie Brown at Ronnie23Brown on Twitter. Hit him up. He's a great personable dude. Ronnie B, we appreciate you, man. And uh, as always, thank you for joining the Triple Threat Podcast. 
Hey, man, I appreciate you for sharing your platform with me, man. All the best to you and much success continue to you, brother. There it is, good people. Ronnie Brown, Triple Threat Podcast. Spring, is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. They've designed must-have travel styles for when you need to jet. The lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit make these shoes some of the most packable styles ever. That means more comfort and less baggage. Take the Superlight Tree Runner on your next adventure. Its cushy, lightweight foam midsole supports every step, and the extra outsole traction gives you the grip to just go for it. The eucalyptus fiber upper adds next-level breathability to keep you going all day. Plus, the Superlight Tree Runner is comfortable and ready to go right out of the box. So, what can you do in a Superlight shoe? What can't you do is the better question. And, because they're super packable, the real question is, where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S.com, code SUPER24.